0: Jump in in James three, James three two to twelve, It says for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn the whole body. Look at also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire, kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and it's a fire, the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. All right, so I know it's not news to you um, to tell you that, that our tongues get us in a lot of trouble. Our words get us in trouble and James can hear God speaking through James compares a our words to a spark in a forest and we know about forest fires here and this time of year and you know how dangerous it is and and you know of course you just spit out some words and instantly you wish you could get them back but the sparks already in the pine needles and there can be devastating destruction for a long time because of our tongues. James compares it to a forest fire he compares it to with the way we come and we pray and we tell God how much we love Him and we sing songs of worship and then we criticize and we gossip and we nitpick and we uh, complain and James compares that to a tree that bears the wrong fruit. You can't, you can't say you're a fig tree and bear grapes and, and also you can't get fresh water and salty water out of the same well or the same spring, but our mouths put out a lot of salty words and a lot of fresh words. Hello? Yeah, but the two pictures that James gives us here—it's—it's the word of the Lord. The Lord tells us that I want to camp on for this morning is the ship and the horse. God says that our tongue is like a bit in the horse's mouth, and it directs the whole horse's body. Our mouths direct our lives. Our our tongues steer our lives. The whole body. James says, Our tongue steers our whole body. And he says, Like a ship, sailing ships in those days, but the way it was steered was with the little rudder that compared to the size of the ship is quite small. But the pilot is on the rudder in the back of the ship. The wind is blowing it, but the rudder is turning it. And James, God says to us, Your mouth is like the words coming out of your mouth, or what steers the ship of your life. Proverbs says to guard our hearts above all things for out of our heart comes all of the wellspring, all the issues of life. Everything we do and think and say, all of our reactions and responses of life come out of the attitude of our heart. The things we really truly believe are true. God says guard your heart above all else. And then he also says out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. You can claim to believe or not believe anything because you know you're supposed to, but you betray yourself by what you actually say because what's in your heart comes out your mouth. And then God says, faith comes by hearing. So when you speak what you actually believe in your heart, it reinforces the faith in your heart. So more words come. So your faith in that is increased. If what you're speaking is criticism and complaining and worry and stress and anxiety and depression and I hate my job and our marriage is hopeless. If that's what you're speaking all the time, that's what you really truly believe in your heart. It's coming out your mouth. It's going in your ears and reinforcing faith in that truth in your heart. So more words come out, so more go in your ears. And if you're a musician, that's a really bad feedback loop. And if you're a biologist, that's a toxic symbiotic relationship between your heart and your mouth. Or it can be a symbiotic relationship of blessing. That because I really, truly, genuinely have solid faith in God in my heart, it comes out in my mouth, it goes in my ears, faith comes by hearing, I hear myself speak faith, it reinforces the faith in my heart. And we have a positive feedback loop. We have a positive symbiotic relationship between our heart and our mouth. And James says that loop steers your entire life. It directs everything like a bit in a horse's mouth, like a rudder on the ship. You steer your life where you want it to go. So God gives us a clue on how to do that. Joel 3.10 says, let the weak say, I'm strong. Yeah. Grab that rudder and crank it hard toward strength. What good does it do for the weak to say, I'm so tired. It hurts so bad. I don't want to get out of bed. Today's going to suck. It doesn't do any good, even if it's factual. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Grab that rein and crank that horse's head around and make it go toward strength. Our tongue steers our life. God says, let the weak say, I'm strong. God gives us an example of how he did that in Romans 4. We're going to go back first, Genesis, the story of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah had no children. God comes to Abraham when he's in his 60s or 70s and says, I'm changing your name, Abraham. Uh, Abram was his name. It means father of no one. I'm changing your name to Abraham, which means father of many. He had no children. And, And his wife is well past the age of bearing children. But God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of so many descendants, so many great-great-grandchildren that you're not going to be able to count them like you can't count the stars. And then 10 years went by and 20 years went by and there was no children. And Abraham, Abraham is 99 years old and Sarah is 89. And Sarah gets pregnant. Sarah got pregnant at 89 years old. But in the meantime... God says for 20 more years or more, Abraham has to tell all his neighbors and friends and family, God changed my name from father of no one to father of many. Call me father of many. Abraham, are you insane? Abraham, do you know? You're like 75. Um, Abraham, you know, like you're 85 years old now. Do you understand how this works? Your wife is well past that age. Yeah, but God's word trumps my circumstances. Here's what Romans 4 says about that story. Romans 4, 17 to 21, Abraham is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Abraham was not the father of many descendants, but God says, I'm changing your name to the father of many descendants because I have decided that it is so. And it has not yet happened in time and space, but it is truth. It is not lie for you to say, I am the father of many nations because I have decreed it to be so. And your job is to say, yes, God, I believe your word more than I believe the facts of my circumstances. God calls those which things which are not as though they were. Continuing the passage. Against all hope. Everybody say against all hope. Abraham isn't pie in the sky, dreamy. I mean, he knows there is no hope, but against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Abraham didn't ignore the biological facts, he didn't ignore his circumstances, but it says, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts. There is no way this is going to happen, except that God said it would. So we're not, God isn't telling us to deny the facts, to ignore the circumstances, to stick our head in the sand, like the problems don't exist. But faith is, God's word is bigger than the facts. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's some amazing faith for a man with a wife that old to say, I believe God can make her pregnant. That's, that's astounding. It's astounding faith. God calls that which is not as though it were, because he has said that it is so, so it isn't lying. For Abraham to say, no, I want everybody now to call me the father of many, because God has said it is so. It's not lying for the weak to say I'm strong, because God says, I'm, you're strong and can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's not a lie. No matter how you feel, God's word is more true than your feelings. So we're going to practice this. We're going to call that which is not as though it were. Let's do this. I am strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God says, Let the weak say, I'm strong. So, those of you who feel weak this morning, either emotionally or physically, or you're in pain or whatever it is that's going on, maybe there's somebody here who feels strong, probably not most of us. Let's say it out loud. God said to you, I am strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're calling that which is not as though it were so that it becomes what is. We're grabbing that rein and cranking that horse's neck toward strength. I don't feel it, but God says it's true, so that's the way we're going, and I'm steering my life that way. Let the weak say I'm strong, so we we'll do it. Let's try another one. My children are obedient and peaceful. We are, we are calling that which is not as though it were. Come on. We're calling that which is not as though it were. Let's say this together. My children are obedient and peaceful. We're taking that ship's rudder and cranking it hard toward obedience and peace. If you're constantly complaining about how exhausting your kids are and I'm stressed and it's so chaotic and that feeds them and it feeds you. In this terrible loop of heart to words to ear to heart to words to ear, and you're, you're creating your life. But if you will, by faith, crank your horse around toward peace and obedience, say this 10 times each day, over your kids and your home and your own attitude, you'll be amazed. You will steer your life and it will be that way. We can say this because we know God's will is children, obey your parents. Live peaceably with everyone. This is totally scriptural. We know God wants your kids to be that way, so say it. Because God creates by speaking, and so do we, both positive and negative. Next one. I live in the fruit of the Spirit. For those of you who are not sure what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We're calling that which is not as though it is. I live in the fruit of the spirit. I live in the fruit of the spirit. And your wife is elbowing you, you do not. <laughs> okay, but I'm saying it to make it reality. You know, your wife may tell you you are not gentle or, or whatever. Or, you know, you may not feel joy or peace this morning, but say it because we know it's God's will. So we say yes and amen to God's word. We know it's his will. We crank our ship and steer toward God. That I live in the fruit of the spirit. Next one. I easily understand the Bible when I read it. We're calling that which is not as though it is. Come on. Some of you, it's not a problem. But I guess a lot of you, it is a problem. Say it out loud. I easily understand the Bible when I read it. Next one. I am forgiven and loved. I would guess some of you that's really natural. Others of you you are going to have to say this by faith. And you're speaking that which is not as though it is. I am forgiven and loved. I am forgiven. Say it 20 times a day. My teacher, Steve Backlund, I'm taking this class from, he has a pocket clicker. The little clicker that rolls the numbers, like take attendance or something with. In his pocket, he has 700 a day. 700 prophecies or proclamations over his body and his mind and his finances and his family. And see, he tries to do 150 before he has his morning coffee. <laughs> Say this, speak to yourself, create your life with your tongue. As James said, I'm forgiven and loved. One more. I'm a courageous evangelist. I love talking about Jesus. <laughs> We're calling that which is not as though it were. Come on. Some of you are on fire for Jesus and you love to talk about him. Most of you are chickens. All right. I am a courageous evangelist. I love talking about Jesus. Come on. You know you love him. You're passionate. When he comes to church, you're all energetic about how great Jesus is. And you get to work or school and you're like, "Mm, I better hide that part of me because I don't want to be weird. Doing nothing isn't going to change it. Trying harder isn't going to change it. Talking about how scary it is isn't going to change it. But just steer your life toward courage, toward evangelism. All right, now listen carefully. Listen to me really careful. I'm not talking about optimism. What I am describing is not positive thinking. It is faith. Optimism doesn't work. Positive thinking doesn't work. This is faith in Jesus Christ. This isn't name it and claim it because we can only say what God has promised he would do. I can't just make up what I want to be true and name it and claim it. I, hear, I see it in the word of God. I see that Jesus paid for it at the cross. I see that it's a promise of God or a command of God. So I say yes and amen. Jesus, make it so. Yeah. Yeah. Christless optimism is sin. Not only does optimism not work because things aren't going to work out well, But Christless optimism is sin because you're putting your faith in somebody other than Jesus. Just this generic worldly optimism like, oh, everything's going to be okay is sin because you're either putting your faith in yourself that you're going to work it out all right or that the world's going to work all right, which is a dumb idea, or that fate is somehow going to work everything out all right. No, my faith is in Jesus Christ to perform the word of God. That's faith. So I'm not talking about Being optimistic, I'm not talking about positive thinking, I'm talking about Jesus. This will not work unless Jesus is your Lord. You can have no faith or hope in this world outside of Jesus. With him, we have all faith and hope. There's nothing in between. You either have no hope and no right to hope, or you have all hope. All hope. I'm not talking about wishing Or grasping at maybes or couldbes or what ifs. I'm talking about we read the word of God and we see what it says and we say yes. And we begin to speak it over ourselves and steer our life that way. I'm not talking about denying reality. Sticking our head in the sand and and ignoring our circumstances. Romans 4 says Abraham understood biology. He knew that his body was as good as dead as far as reproduction goes. But God's word trumps that. So I'm not saying that we ignore the medical diagnosis, we don't ignore our financial troubles that are on the horizon, that we, think, like, well, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and hope everything works out. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that we can't speak in real terms about our marriage problems and our child discipline troubles and things like that. But what God has said trumps everything. What God has said trumps everything, and so we speak God's word more than we speak fear and worry and anger and stress, and and we're not lying. Lying is a sin. Don't lie. But Romans 10.10 says this, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you really believe this, you're not sinning. You're not lying. If you don't really believe it, it won't work. Because then it is lying. Like, well, Mitch, my children really aren't peaceful and obedient. Okay, so do you see that God wants them to be? Yes. Do you see that that's his word? Yes. Do you see that that's what he wants for your family? Then if they really aren't, you're not lying to say that they are. If your faith is in the word of God, that I'm steering them that direction with my confession. Because I really believe it. And just as the overflow of the heart comes out the mouth, our mouth steers our heart. You can say things you don't feel or think at all, but if you see that it's true in God's word, like, God, I don't feel it. I don't think it. In fact, I disagree with this, but I have enough sense to know that you're more true than me, so I'm going to say it by pure faith. I'm going to say it, that your word is true and I agree with it. And as your mouth speaks it, your heart will change. Just as your heart comes out your mouth, your mouth can steer your heart. Just like James says, it can steer the whole horse. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who eat it will love its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Our tongues are full of the power of death and the power of life. You get to choose. Which one are you speaking over your body, your marriage, your finances, your, your business, your worship and prayer life? Your mind, are you constantly speaking negative things? Let's steer the ship. Let's steer the ship. I have a sound mind. I have the mind of Christ. I know the truth and it sets me free. Let's say it out loud. I have a sound mind. I have the mind of Christ. I know the truth and it sets me free. If you don't know, all three of those are Bible verses. I mean, we're solidly on Scripture here. We're not inventing what we want to be true. This is just us agreeing, saying yes with Scripture. I do have a sound mind. He has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Jesus Christ said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Two verses in Paul's epistles about us having the mind of Christ and the the mind of the Spirit. Amen. So when your mind is going crazy, either in anxiety or stress or fear or panic about your circumstances or whatever, shut it down. No. I have a sound mind. I'm going to think sane. I'm not going to think with fear. I'm not going to think with stress. I'm going to think with the mind of Christ. I understand. If you don't understand something and you need an answer really badly, say, I have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that I have your mind. I'm going to sit here and listen until you give me an answer. I'm going to fast until we have some breakthrough and I understand something that I really need to understand. Next one, I forgive easily and quickly. Out loud, everybody. I forgive easily and quickly. We're grabbing that horse's rein and cranking that horse toward forgiveness easily and quickly some of you it really is actual fact and experience some of you are having to steer your ship that way you're having to call that which is not as though it were but is that not what you want to be true is it god's will for you absolutely say it say it out loud i easily and clearly hear the voice of my shepherd jesus said my sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow Jesus said, You're not going to get confused about who's speaking to you. It's me or it isn't. But I hear so many Christians say, I don't, I don't ever hear the voice of the Lord. Listen to what you just said. It's not true. You're disagreeing with Scripture, so you're lying. You do hear the voice of God, you're just not aware of it. So say the truth. I do hear the voice of my shepherd, and I will not follow another. Next one I love my job. I love my job. Come on. Come on. God, Bible says God gave you your job. Come on. He gave you the work of your hands to do, and he will make it prosper. So love it. Some of you are like I don't want to steer the horse that way because I don't want to love this job. I want a different job. No. Every day as you drive to work, I love my job. Guess what will happen? Your job won't change. You will change. And you get to work, you'll be a lot better co-worker, and your boss will like you, and you'll work with a better attitude, and you'll work harder and longer, and your boss will give you a raise and a promotion, and guess what? You will love your job. (laughs) Do you see how you steer your life? By with your words, which changes your attitude, which changes more words, which changes more I love my job. Some of you need to write that one down. Say it every day. Next one. I feel more joy and energy and love than I can contain. Woo! (laughs) speaking that which is not as though it is I feel more joy and energy and love than I can contain now I know that in physical experience most of us in the room that's not true what good does it do to complain about how tired and pain you are even if you don't believe it creates reality that by speaking your pain it creates more pain I do believe that and you become conscious of it, you're hyper-focused on it. But even if you don't believe that, at a bare minimum, it has zero productivity to complain. So even if you don't believe that saying, I have joy and energy and love more than I can contain, even if you don't believe that saying that creates it in reality, which it does, I hope I've proved that to you already, even if you don't believe that, at bare minimum, it's going to change your attitude. Hello. But this isn't selfish for you to say because the Psalm says, My cup overflows. Come on, your cup is supposed to overflow. People should want to be around you because you have more joy and energy and love than you can contain and you have stuff to give away. It's not selfish. To want God to fill you up to overflowing because you have to be filled so that your cup can overflow so that people, you have Jesus to give away to people. If you're overflowing with negativity and complaining and criticism and griping, who wants to be around you? You're not gonna win anybody to Jesus. I'm just being realist. Shut up. This is real. Come on. So say it until it's real. Because it's more true than whatever else you feel. My body is strong and healthy. My mind is clear and calm. My heart is at peace with God and everyone. Out loud, everybody. My body is strong and healthy. My mind is clear and calm. My heart is at peace with God and everyone. So I know there's still somebody saying, Mitch... If I say that, I'm lying because my body is not strong and healthy. So isn't this denying or covering up or faking it? Okay, let me, let me try a different angle with you then. Which coach there do you want in your head? Do you want the happy, excited, we're going to win today, coach? Or do you want the despondent, uh, I don't believe in my team, coach, in your heart? Next picture. Which of those coaches do you want? In your head, telling you how your day's going to go. Or how you're going to do in this game. Next one. Do you want the guy on the right who's excited about his, what his players just did? Or do you want the, the coach like, I can't believe how stupid she is. But I guarantee you, most of you have that coach in your head. I mean, there's no good coach anywhere who, when his or her players make a mistake on the field, is shouting from the sideline, you're an idiot! Shut up. Why are you even on the field? You shouldn't have got out of bed this morning. You're stupid. I just walk off. Just go home. But you let that play in your heart a lot. Why am I even trying? I should just give up. Nobody cares. Nobody knows. Surely God is tired with me. Surely he's done. Which coach do you want? Next picture. Do you want the guy that is high fiving you, or do you want the guy that hates you? Now, listen, there's some bad coaches out there. There's a really bad coach that's shouting criticism and pessimism and failure and loser from the sidelines. But the really good coach, before the game, says, We're going to win. It's going to be awesome. We're going to mop the floor with them. And then you play the game. And sometimes you win. And you come back and there's champagne spray and there's cheers and high fives and hugs and trophies and wins. And then we all know, there's a lot of times coach said, we're going to have a great game. And then you don't. Come on. What happens in the locker room after that? The coach comes in. the coach is honest I'm not talking about denying the facts the coach says well that that didn't go so well but every good coach the next thing he or she says is but we did this well and we did this well and we did this well does your coach say that or does your coach only say how what a screw-up you are come on the good coach says, okay, that did not work. Um, obviously, we didn't do very well, uh, but we, got, we did this right, and we did this right, and we worked on practice uh, last week, and we did this, and you did that, you successfully executed that play a few times. He points out what worked well, and she honestly admits what didn't work, but then she says, we got some things to work on this week, I got a couple different plays in mind, and we're gonna correct some things, we're gonna shift some positions, and then next week, we're gonna go back and win! That's the coach you want in your head. Is that believes that, okay, I, I lost the game today, but I'm going to win it tomorrow. When the coach before the game says, we're going to do awesome, we're going to pump you up, we're going to get all excited, and we're going to jump, and we're going to sing, and we're going to go out, and we're going to kick some butt. And then you don't. After the game, nobody goes and tells the coach, that he was lying before the game to say, you're going to do great. My point is, you're not lying to speak these things over your life. It's going to be a great day. I'm going to live in the fruit of the Spirit today. My body is strong. Hello. Nobody says the coach is lying because he pumped the team up before the game. And nobody with a half a lick of sense, says to the coach, well, you, you pumped your team up and you really encouraged them and you told them it was going to be great and then they didn't win. So the, the solution is next time you need to talk about how bad they're going to do. Nobody thinks that the next, the next game the answer is for the coach to just be more pessimistic. Whose fans do you want in your heart cheering you on? (laughs) Next picture. I dare say probably a lot of you have a despondent cheering section in your mind. I know some of you don't have this problem, but I know enough. I've been a pastor for 14 years now. I know most of you have that going on inside of you. What I'm telling you this morning is not that we lie or pretend or wish or name it and claim it. I'm saying you need to fire your coach and get some new fans who encourage you because everybody in sports knows the fans make a huge difference in how the team plays. What you believe and what you think and the voice playing inside your head and your heart and what you comes out of your own mouth makes an enormous difference in how your day goes. If that's the cheering section in your heart while you pray or while you work or while you worship, if you need to fire your coach and get some new fans. Come on, you need to, get, you need to let Jesus be your coach because he believes in you. He's like, you're going to have a great day because I'm with you and you're going to overcome You're going to live in the fruit of the Spirit, and you're going to see miracles, and you're going to defeat your sin habits, and it's going to be awesome. And then you are, and it's like, okay, well, we're going to to be honest. We're going to address this. We're going to fix that. We're going to change this, and we're going to come out tomorrow swinging hard. Fire your coach and get Jesus in there and agree with him. Listen to his encouragement. Francis Frangipane says this, it will be on the screen, if there is any area of your life that is not glistening with hope, you're believing a lie, and that lie is a stronghold of the devil in your life. Glistening with hope, that's a strong word, it's a ridiculous word. When I first heard that, I, I, it made me angry, I disagreed, like, no, no, there are some, there are some things that I just don't have hope and ever-changing, and that's correct, but the years that I have prayed through this, I see that he is exactly correct. Yeah. Hopelessness is a crime in the kingdom of heaven. Hopelessness is a crime in the kingdom. We are required to hope all things and believe all things. 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Come on. So if I am not glistening with hope (laughs) about everything in my finances, family, body, anything, I'm believing a lie. And not only is that a lie, but I believe Mr. Frangipane is correct that that lie gives Satan access to work the lie in my circumstances. Because that lies where I've put my faith instead of hope in Jesus. So we want a hopeful coach. We want hopeful fans cheering us on inside. And we want to believe what God has said and agree with it. And with our mouth, make confession unto salvation. So let's keep steering that ship. God is blessing my body, my finances, my family, my mind, my work. Come on, God takes pleasure in the prosperity of a servant. Come on, say it out loud. God is blessing my body, my family, my finances, my mind, my work. God isn't destroying it. (laughs) So, say what's true. Next one. God gives me creative ideas to make my business more profitable. Lots of Bible stories I could use as an example to that, but the gift of the Spirit is a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. God can give you ideas. Lots of testimonies of that. Say it out loud. God gives me creative ideas to make my business more profitable. Next one. I honor my parents. Some of you, that is easy to say in actual fact and experience. Some of you are having to call that which is not as though it were. Some of you are having to crank that ship around and steer toward honor for your parents. But do we know it's God's will? Yes. Do we believe it's a command from God? Yes. So speak it out loud. I receive that word. I say yes to what God has told me to do. And I say that it is true. I honor my parents. You may have to say that. From your gut level of zero feeling except anything negative for, you may have to say that a hundred times a day for years until your attitude can change and you get the love of God for who your mom and dad are. But it's not a lie. I said it's not a lie because you're agreeing with the word of God and I'm steering myself toward the truth of God. Next one. My husband is a righteous stud. I highly honor him. Your husband may not be righteous, he may not be a stud, and you may not honor him, but say it until it's true. Next one. My wife is adorable and lovely. I give my life to tenderly love her. One husband says that. The rest of you are in big trouble. (laughs) She may say, you are not tenderly loving me. Well, say it till it's true. Come on, husbands, say it till it's true. And wives, say it till it's true. Nitpicking him and nagging him about it isn't going to change him. Say it till it's true. I am often overwhelmed with thankfulness. There we go. Now you're picking it up. I am often overwhelmed with thankfulness. Often. God is present with me. He knows me. He cares about me. He hears my prayers. Let's say that out loud. Some of you have rock solid faith in that. Others of you have major doubts and major bad emotions about whether God knows you and loves you and He's with you. Your prayers don't get past the ceiling. You know that's not biblical, so don't say it. Say this. God is with me. He knows me. It will change your mind as it comes out your mouth. Next one. Today is going to be a great day with God. Come on, there's so many Bible verses that prove that. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day of salvation. Come on, I just, two off the top of my head. Today's going to be a great day with God. Well, Mitch, what if it isn't? Can your coach not say that before the game? Like, come on. If at the end of the day, you had a great day, fantastic. If you didn't, be honest. Okay, I need to change that and that. But tomorrow's going to be great with God. There is always a solution. That one's really important. You need to say this one to yourself lots. Don't ever say I can't do anything about it. Don't ever say there is no hope. Don't ever say there is no solution. There is always a solution. Jesus is the truth. He is the answer and he knows if you don't think there is always a solution is true you're denying that jesus you're saying there's something jesus can't fix there is always a solution don't waste time don't waste god's time believing there's nothing you can do about it go right to from the moment the situation happens from the circumstance occurs god what is the answer What is the solution? What do I need to know? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to do to make this right? There is always a solution. Next one there are more with us than against us. A bunch of you know the Bible story that came from. Some of you don't. I don't have time to go into it. I'm already running along. There are more with us than against us. It's always true, folks. We're not the minority. Next, I am quick to repent and ask forgiveness. I'm quick to repent and ask forgiveness. Amen. It is easy for me to give myself away. I'm constantly giving away my service, my time, and my money. Some of you, that's, it really is an actual experience, but others of you are quite stingy, and you need to speak that over yourself until it becomes reality. Next one I expect God to correct me often and I welcome it. I expect God to correct me often. I, welcome I expect God to correct me and I welcome it. Amen. Next one. I feel Jesus' love and pleasure often. I feel Jesus's love and pleasure. Often. Somebody needs to get a hold of that one. You need to say that to yourself all day every day. Next one I live in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's from the book of Acts, the description of the church, that they lived in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is the balance of God's love. We must obey Him and fear Him and revere His holiness, and we must live in His gentleness and His forgiveness and His comfort. It must be both. So we say it. Yes, that's me too, is the church in Acts, and it's this church, and it's me individually. Last one I am repenting to glistening hope. I am repenting to glistening hope. Say it like you mean it. I am repenting to glistening hope. There is always a solution. There is always hope. All right. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your coaching. Lord, we fire our coach (laughs) who only speaks pessimism and criticism and defeat and hopelessness we want you to be our coach because your words are beautiful and encouraging and not just encouraging but you have the power to back it up to make it so so lord we say yes and amen to every one of your promises and every one of your commands and we grab the reins and we steer our horse that direction the words of our mouth lord we steer our life to to agree with your words We want to obey your commands and we want to receive your promises. Thank you for your encouragement today. I bless each person here. In Jesus' name, amen.